I'm Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Standing by is Helen Dennis. She's a nationally recognized leader and sought after speaker on issues of aging and the new retirement. And I'm a huge fan of her column. I have actually saved her articles. They're all over my desk. I don't think I told her that, but now she knows. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. And I'm flattered. I love them. I this one is five strategies for aging with health and happiness. And you actually mentioned Becca Levy, who was in the uh, age boom Academy. I was just part of, so it's wonderful. Really enjoy them. Great Glad information. Glad you enjoyed them. Thank you. I want to back up Helen. And cause we were talking previously and you told me um, you hadn't really planned to become a writer. Had you? And the answer is no. Uh, writing has been a means to an end. I mean, I've written grants, I've written newsletters, uh, I've written proposals, um, but usually a means to the end. And kind of the irony, my late husband um, formerly was a journalist. So he was the writer, not me. Um, but I can give you a little bit of a backstory on the columns. Sure. Um, this was at the Daily Breeze, which is one of the Southern California News Group newspapers. And the editor, uh, managing editor called me and said the woman who writes the seniors column was retiring. Uh, she was 88 and wanted to write a book. <clears throat> so was I interested in writing a column? Well, I said, that sounds interesting. I said, sure. <laughs> said, okay, write 600 of your best words. Uh, come in with a dozen topics that you think are important for us to cover as a newspaper, and we'll talk. Mm -hmm. So and I thought, there's always hoops to go through, right? 600 of your best words. Oh, my right. God. Okay, 600 of my best words on aging. So I met with her and their features editor, and they read what I wrote and the, what I suggested. And they said, we'd like this. Would you like to write a senior's column? I said, well, that's really nice. I said, I chronologically qualify to be a senior but the title doesn't resonate. How about something aspirational like successful aging? And they said, well, check with our attorneys, get back to you, P.S. So that was in 1999. No, I'm sorry, that was not in 1999. This was, well, close to it. This was about 19 years ago. Okay. Um, so I have been <laughs> publishing a column a week and I'm on my 977th column. Whoa. So I said, I must be a masochist. Who, who does that to themselves? Every week, there's a paper due every single week. Um, but it has been, it's not a but, it has been rewarding. Now, let me backtrack. So my intention, which I never want my readers to know, is that it is what I call sneaky public education. Ah. Because they syndicated it, and it now reaches 1.6 million print readers every oh, Sunday. Is that all? Plus <laughs> online. So... My core is probably an educator from a lot of academic and other experience. I thought, this is really a platform to reach people. Yes. But I should never want them to know that's my intention, right? It's, it's a casual column. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing, I, this is called things that you have learned along the way. What I learned is, um, and as a journalist, this is probably not new to you, that people want to be, particularly when it comes to successful aging, people want to be understood. Yes. They want to be heard. They want reliable, valid, consumable information. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have some recommendations, they're open. They'd like to hear it. And I throw in a personal or professional perspective to boot. 
Um, that has emerged as a formula, but they want to be heard. They want to yes. be understood and they don't want to suffer through the reading. <laughs> they, they don't want to have obstacles to say oh, too much data, oh much, it's too complex to read. So my goal is to be um, interesting, mm -hmm. uh, consumable, maybe learn something um, and have it a good read. Well, one in particular that I say is the five strategies of aging with health and happiness. It's nice and bite-sized. It's, you know, the things you talk about are be physically active, engage in mental activities, be socially engaged, have a positive attitude towards aging, have a sense of purpose. This is great. I mean, that's why I saved it. Well, I am flattered. The, the other thing is um, not to give too much information. Right. And just enough. Just enough. Um, and the other piece that I'm pretty cautious about, if it is not, someone said to me, oh, you're the dear Abby of aging. I said, not quite, because the column isn't about me. That's true. It's not, this is what Helen thinks. Mm -hmm. This is what Helen has selected of the information and data that's out there. And if I give you my personal perspective on the issues, I state it. So here is it from my vantage point. Yes. So it's not the gospel from Helen. It's hopefully, can we do some shared learning? Yes. The other thing I'll add, which is probably more than you wanted to know, but every October, I write an anniversary column. And it's usually a two-part series. The thing that I ask is, what have I learned from our readers? I love that. And so I want to suggest to them, this is a two-way communication. And I learn, and let me share with you what I have learned from all of you. Um, so that's usually in October. That's and, wonderful. And to do that, this is also insanity. Uh, <laughs> number one, I answer every email and communication. Whoa, and you must get a lot. You know, I have no perspective what a lot is. It's, it's okay. Mm -hmm. So I save all of them in paper, which is not good for the environment. I save them all. And then I sort them according to topic. Elder care, age discrimination, workforce issues. And then I look at the most frequent responses and that becomes part of the column. Yes. There's your theme right there. That thing yep. rise up. Yes. So it's more than you ever want to know about writing a column on successful aging. But it's fascinating. I mean, 600 words, I feel like the shorter it is, sometimes the more challenging it is. Yeah. I've, I've, I've gone up to maybe 650, occasionally 700, mm -hmm. but it is harder to write short yes. than it is to write long because you don't write everything you know. You know, hopefully, this much. Yes. And you're going to write this much. I was supposed to, I'm working on an article that was way too long for the fellowship. I wanted to be a series about intergenerational strategies. Oh my gosh, it started off as 2000 words and I cut it, you know, whatever, 1200 words and I need to cut it again. And it's hard, it's just, you, you wanna hang on to stuff. I guess I just take it out and maybe save it for maybe something else. Do you ever do that? Uh, you just cut it and get rid of it. I, I, I keep saying, what is the essence? Yes. What can you live without and still tell your story? Yes. Um, so, you know, I, I try to cut and, and dispose of it. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Tell me um, what else you're involved in. I know there's an organization you started years ago. So I'm involved in a number of things, but they have a similar theme. Um, my colleague and I, about 20 years ago, started something called Renew It 
which is a cross between retirement and renewal. And we started it because there were no retirement models for career women. These are women who felt passionate about their work. And then there was 20 to 30 years facing them. And it was, who am I without my business card? And what does productivity mean? So we started this as a small conversation group. Um, no intention of um, expanding. And other women on the west side of Los Angeles found about these you know, eight or 10 women that were having these kind of structured discussion groups about transition and change. I said, can we join your group? You know, from a group process perspective, we said, you know, that's hard. We'll help you start a group. And then it was group three and group four and group five. And so to date, there are about 35 to 40 renewal conversation groups going on. Some have lasted two years, some have lasted eight years, some have lasted 20 years. Ours has lasted 21 years. Um, and although the intention was not to make a best friend, these were women from diverse backgrounds but have similar values and they have become close friends. That's wonderful. Inadvertently what we have done is establish small enduring communities of women across the country. So that's one piece, but let me bring you well, two other pieces. Okay. Uh, we, as I say, we, we, we didn't intend to grow, but we did. And we got some press with the LA Times and also Time Magazine Online. And the CEO of Scribner saw that, um, called, uh, wrote to the, the journalist who wrote the columns about us and got in touch with us and said, we want, we'd like you at Scribner to write a book. We said, okay. We okay. always knew there was a book there because no one was talking about this. Always knew there was, and for the first five years, we transcribed our conversations, not knowing what the it was, but we know we were doing something different. Yes. So PS, 18 months later, turned in manuscript and we published or wrote the book, Project Renewment, the first retirement model for career women. And to our shock and amazement, it made the LA Times bestseller list. Oh, Helen. So what, what can I tell you? So I want you to now jump forward or into the pandemic. Mm -hmm. The women can't meet. So I say to my co-founder, Bernice Bratter, my partner in crime, I said, let's, we, I think we, and we've been pretty casual. This is not, this is a, not a formal organization. It's, we, we, we're intention. There's not a membership. There's not a board of directors. It's not a 501c3. Okay. So let's just send out an invitation to the renewment roundtable, And we have 15 seats around this big table. We invite you to join us for a conversation on transition and change during the pandemic. Well, we did that, we had a waiting list. Well, then we had another waiting list. No, we had, so we just launched group 10. 10. grown virally, just as the renewment groups have grown virally. Bernice mm -hmm. and I said, I don't wanna run the country starting groups. So let's just see what happens. So organically and virally, this has grown word of mouth. So we just launched group 10, um, which speaks to one, it was a pandemic, women, either in their career or just out of their career yes were cut off yes definitely so they found like women to discuss issues mm -hmm. so now we're i thought pandemic ends this will drop off not at all no <laughs> and zoom has given us the technology to connect with people across the country mm -hmm. from canada from chile 
And we meet once a month for an hour for a structured discussion on, we just did one on authenticity. We just did one on impact of the women's movement. Um, and we select a topic. And I'm amazed they show up every month, but it's easy. You just have to be, you just show up. Click on the Zoom link. Think on your Zoom link. Yeah. So uh, that's part of what I do. But uh, so that's that's my volunteer <laughs> volunteer commitment. <laughs> yeah. The work that I've done a fair amount on is retirement education on non-financial issues. Mm -hmm. I've worked with about twenty-five thousand employees in more of a classroom, not a clinical educational setting, not a, not a clinical setting, on all the things you think about in retirement that don't add up to a spreadsheet. It's all the qualitative stuff. Like the, what? Such as um, making the retirement decision. Such as, I do a piece, slowing the aging process. Interesting. Such as um, the meaning of work, mm -hmm. and how that translates to what you wanna do in the next chapter of life. Um, a little bit on um, relationships, which is the most under-discussed issue when it comes to retirement education. That's interesting that it's under-discussed. So, but it's understandable. Let's say we have a married couple. Mm -hmm. um, they've been together for 35 years. They're getting along fine. They've never had to talk about the relationship. Now, all of a sudden, either one is retired and the other is home or vice versa. But there they are with each other. And they haven't been like this since they were first married for the first three years. So who does what? How much private time do you need? Um, uh, how do you get together on how you want to spend your next three or four years? One wants to go into an RV and the other wants to start a uh, garden club. Um, right. How do you start that conversation? And the reason you know, the notion of if it's not broken, why do we have to fix it? Well, this is preventing it from getting broken. Or yeah. you hear, he's, he goes with me to the grocery store all the time. You know, why is he always, I have no space. <laughs> uh, oh my God, he's coming home. Let, let me throw in another uh, renewment piece. Um, I was on a panel that addressed some soon to retire rabbis because a clergy is a whole other population. Oh, interesting. And I don't know what got a hold of me, but I said, and I noticed there were about a dozen women in the group. And I said, well, who would like to be part of the first rabbinical renewment roundtable for women? And I just, <laughs> my God, what have I just, so I have six female rabbis that are talking about the issues of transition and change mm -hmm. when a woman, female rabbi leaves her congregation. Wow. So. Powerful. So things happen on the spot. Uh, but to go back, a fair lot of retirement education. I made my background at the Davis School at the Gerontology Center at USC, where I taught and directed projects for about 20 years. I taught a course on retirement, retirement planning, a course on aging and business and aging and marketing. So I made my career there in the mid-70s when people thought gerontology was a skin disease like dermatology. Okay, so <laughs> I just want to get you give you a time frame how people thought about aging ah. and did a lot of work in the 80s on older workers and age discrimination mm -hmm. to say before people were thinking that was a relevant issue 
And while there, developed the first with a team of national corporate management training program to address age discrimination in a corporate environment and how to best engage and best engage older workers. That was in the 80s. The 80s. Yeah. We developed a program that was disseminated, it was about three quarters of a million dollars from a variety of sources, but it was disseminated through five universities to 100 companies, mm. 80s. I guarantee you that it might've been used twice and all the materials were free. All the materials are really? the program. Mm. I guarantee you that sat on the shelf. Amazing. It was a non-issue. Yeah, it was. It's part of our HR program. You know, it's a non-issue. Um, it is an issue. It was then. Uh, it's more of an issue now, but we are recognizing it and giving it a voice and a place. So, and I've done a fair amount of public speaking and s- some projects engaging older workers back to the yeah. place. Uh, I, I think the theme um, through my work is the deep belief um, that older adults are a valued resource to our society. Um, And the challenge for us is how to engage them so it is meaningful for them um, and meaningful for society. And we don't have very well created pathways. And if I can do that through education, uh, through writing, through speaking, but I think that's the underlying piece. And I believe that people should have information to make good, good decisions about their lives, particularly in later life. Definitely. And the challenge is how do you get that to them so it's consumable and it's relevant and it's usable. But I think the underlying theme for me is the value of older adults in our society. Yes. How we, so that's probably enough. I have other nonprofits. No. It's so interesting because I was going to say, and I think we talked about this before, is that I don't feel like our society values older adults, so they don't feel valued. And then I'm seeing the impact, the positive impact, when you connect older adults with younger adults, because in the pandemic, both have felt socially isolated and lonely. And there's there's tremendous meaning when you bring these two generations together. But But we don't we don't value that. We don't, not everyone sees uh, older adults as, as the term I've learned in my fellowship as human capital, social capital, which is so important. Yeah, it's human capital, it's social capital, it's economic capital. Yes. ERPs down, they contribute over $8 trillion of direct and indirect money towards our economy. Whoa. So when That's people write the number, it's extraordinary. Um, I think if we look at the economic value of older adults, I think it, it's like third in the world. I mean, but that message doesn't get out. No. So we have, you know, people in some form of communication and education is a challenge. Mm-hmm. Because inf- it's not only information. I mean, data is important to a certain population, but it's not convincing always in aging. I mean, if you look at Older consumers, older consumers have the discretionary income. It has taken a long time for businesses, product development, advertising, the media, entertainment to acknowledge this is a financial audience. 
right. understand them, know how mm -hmm. to speak to them. So it's a human resource. It's an economic resource. So um, we have a lot of work to do. We've come, we've made progress. We've made progress, right. but we have- We have a lot of work to do. A lot of, we have more older people. <laughs> yes, yes. Do you feel like our society is also so busy? I, I've heard people talk about how we're a very individualistic society where, you know, we're very involved in our technology and everything before the pandemic was so fast paced. The meaningful things in life, the relationships, are often overlooked. Yes, and I think the pandemic has given us a reminder mm. that relationships are, I mean, I can't wait to hug my children. I can't wait to hug my friends. You know, the first time that you, that two people meet each other, when the curtain is slightly lifted from the pandemic, what do mm. they do? They hug each other. Yes, yes. They hug each other. So. I hope there are lessons learned on the importance of priority. I think one of the outcomes, I, you may have been following, there's a whole new um, group of people who are not in the workplace and they're called the group who has quit. Oh, I saw that. The quit group. Yes. So there's this revelation saying, you know, I, I never liked the commute. I never liked my work. I never mm -hmm. liked my boss. Life is too short. Yes. I'm not doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. That's and and there are many who have taken early retirement. I saw that because of it, just saying, you know, I got another 20, 30 years. I don't want to spend it this way. Yes. So um, a lot of epiphanies your, in the pandemic. Epiphany, but going back to your sense of what we're valuing, mm -hmm. particularly in later life, I think those relationships are ranking very high. Yes. I think hopefully the pandemic has taught people to be kinder and more thoughtful to themselves and other people. I mean, even a total stranger. I always say, if you see somebody, you know, somebody in your neighborhood, you know that they're, they live alone. You could reach out. You could knock on the door and introduce yourself and ask them if everything's okay, if they need anything. And I, I think that's where we are, where we've been the past year. I would agree. And I think many of us, have not felt lonely. So the experience of being lonely and isolated, mm -hmm. you know what it feels like. Yes. So you might, one might be a little more empathetic. Yes. Um, so yes, it's a long story. Um, I told you, I recently, I just got back um, Monday night from Florida, I saw my stepmother. I hadn't seen her since January of 2020. And she lives alone. Talk about socially isolated and lonely. And then my stepdad, I hadn't seen him in probably two years. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to be in Florida, I'm going to make the drive. It's a little over three hours each way. And I drove to see him just to hug him and spend a few hours, you know, chatting and catching up because you just don't know and he's going to be 88. And it was so powerful. I was so happy I did it. So important. Well, this notion of living with no regrets yeah. is really powerful. Yes. Um, but I think we've, we've come out of the pandemic a little different. I hope that the values stick, mm -hmm. uh, that we don't just kind of regress. Um, but th this whole group of 
people who have quit and it's or, or have chosen retirement, um, that's an immediate decision. Yes. Based on, on an awareness of the, the, the fragile notion of life. I think a lot of people went from not spending a lot of time at home to spending all this time at home and rediscovering the people under the roof they're sharing, but also themselves. And that's probably also what instigated quitting. You realize, wait a minute, I'm not happy. I don't want to go back to that life. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I would agree. Yes. What advice would you give to someone who is in a funk, who um, maybe they are looking to switch gears in their life? I mean, what, what are things that you've done in your life to lift you up when things are rocky? I think a characteristic which is helpful is to be curious. Mm. Uh, if you can lift yourself out of the funk <laughs> um, and to be curious of what someone else is doing, um, if it's the news, which can be depressing, uh, yes. what do you see as your role? Um, but let me do something more fundamental. Um, I often end my columns be, with be kind to yourself and others. So I think, let me backtrack. I think first you have to be good to yourself. Yes. I think whatever that means, that means enough rest, that means enough exercise, that means good nutrition. Because if you don't feel well, it's really hard to be exuberant and resilient. Yes. Um, and within that, I... I'd like to interject, and this is particularly among more mature adults, we, and even middle age, we know how to slow the aging process. Aging is a declining process. At some point, it is declining. There are things we can do to not only slow the process, but even get better. We can get stronger. So to have a mindset of one, the healthy lifestyle, but two, not to be worn down with, gee, I am old and I feel old, so I'm in a funk. Mm -hmm. I'm saying we know enough now how to slow down the normal process and if you will, function better. Yes. Mentally, physically, emotionally, cognitively. Uh, so that's an attitude. You have to be ready to accept that. But I think we need to get that message out. So one is, you know, feel your functional best. Yes. Then move on and be curious. You know, acknowledge it's a big world. Right. Um, talk to people. Don't eat lunch alone. The other is be the initiator. As hard as it is, and I'll go back, if you're not feeling well or good about yourself, it's very hard to put yourself out there. It's true. You have to work on yourself first. Um, and then get out there, be with people. Yes. Um, if you're in a funk because you don't know what to do with your life, go meet with some people who have figured out what to do with their lives. Inspiring. Make it, make it like an informational interview. Mm -hmm. People love to talk about themselves. You know, if you just say, Janine, I'd love to have lunch with you. Tell me everything you've done to make your life work. I wouldn't have to say another word. You would have so many good things to say. Mm -hmm. 
So be the initiator, be curious, be a little bold. I mean, what's the worst going to happen to you? Right. Be a little, if there's ever a time to be bold. <laughs> now. As in, what are we waiting for? An invitation to be bold? Yes. Um, so I think that that's not a cookbook or, uh, you know, the only way, but I would say, take care of yourself, mm -hmm. slow the aging process, be curious, connect with people who have things that appeal to you, either, either their, their philosophy on life, their relationships, their work, their volunteer, uh, volunteer commitments, mm -hmm. uh, or how they reach to be 92 and do it so well. Yes. Almost consider yourself a journalist. I agree. Go, go find out um, what you don't know that's going to make your life better. And then make the assumption and say to yourself, I am a resilient person. I've lived 72 years. I've gone through this and this and this, and I have survived and thrived. There is no reason in the world why I can't continue doing that. So maybe it's a tape we have to make. Right. <laughs> maybe it's a radio show. Listen to this anytime you feel you're in a funk. Yes. Great uh, advice. If someone is depressed, it's a little different story. If yeah. you're really in a funk. Get help. And get out of it. Yeah. There is help. Yes. There is help. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of older adults think being depressed is normal. It's like, so what do you expect? I'm 84. I know. So yeah. we have to kind of change that. I agree. So. Yeah. Because getting out and having a love of learning or being curious about life can boost us up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it could, the whole era to get to learn at this life stage. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the formal informal, whether you take a painting class or an adult education program or go back to school. Um, but again, you need a little resilience. You right. need to be bold and you need to take a risk. Very true. Like, what's the worst can happen to me? They're going to fire me. What are they going to do to me? Right. <laughs> do you remember the story I shared with you, how my dad signed me up for a um, luncheon, a Syracuse University alumni luncheon, and they wanted us to introduce ourselves. And I was so bored with my job and I, I did not like public speaking. So when someone came around, my, my heart was pounding. I didn't really want to talk. And I met this older actress sitting across from me and she asked what I did. I told her, I said, but I don't like my job. And she said, why don't you do something different? What do you like? And I said, well, I'd love to study voice acting. And she said, sweetheart, she wrote the number down of her teacher. She said, you're to call this woman today and then call me and tell me you called this woman. So I know you really did it. And I did it. And I stayed with that teacher for years, the voice acting teacher. And it was more to get out of my own anxious self and to become more of a confident person. And it was a wonderful thing. It was just, she was a complete stranger. And I just took the chance and went and I was open. So there, there are two parts to your story. One is that you were so open and two, that she was so kind. So kind. So kind. And mm -hmm. you know, we, we need to envelop that today. Just be kind and be good and good things will happen. I mean, I your story is one. Great things can happen just out of kindness. I agree. Where can people find out more about you? 
you haven't heard enough. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'll have you back anytime. I, I love talking to you. Um, so I have a HelenMDennis.com, which tells you a little bit about me and what, what I do. Mm -hmm. uh, then there is renewment.org. Renewment okay. And I would uh, offer if any of your listeners are interested in uh, joining a Renewment Roundtable to contact me. We meet pretty interesting people, um, talk about relevant issues. Um, I would be happy to, uh, to talk to them. Wonderful. Well, I've really enjoyed this so much. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. It was so interesting to hear how you became a columnist and what you're doing and everything. My pleasure. And it was wonderful speaking with you. You too. I feel like we've just had coffee together. That's exactly what it's supposed to feel like. Not an interview, a conversation. Great. I've succeeded then. <laughs> Enormous. Very well. Thank, thank you very you. much.